0: Take a seat, movie fans. The film is about to start. Welcome to of Services, the show where we look at the bad films of cinematic history, the movies that critics rejected but audiences embraced. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban. I'm also the host of the Just Enough Trope podcast and the Enterprising Individuals podcast on the Just Enough Trope network. You can find out more at justenoughtrope.com. Today on the show, we've got a special guest. It's Jacob Gulliver of Hot Chocolate Media. Hi, Jacob. Hi there, thanks so much for having me. Tell us, if you can, about Hot Chocolate Media. What are you all about?
1: Yeah, so we're a local media production company here in the Twin Cities, Minnesota area. We do all kinds of fun, geeky content that's available for free on the web. We have several rotating podcasts. We've also got some web series that you can watch. Um, And we're always trying to expand and do more things with the uh, various different communities here in the cities.
0: Sure. Can you talk about the Fringe show that you're doing right now, the Minnesota Fringe?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's called Waiting for Gygax, and it is a mashup. (laughs) I see where this is going. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is a mashup of Waiting for Godot and Dungeons and Dragons. It is about two monsters who are waiting in a dungeon to test their mettle against the legendary hero Gygax. Okay, okay, I can see
0: that. Who, uh, Who wrote it?
1: Uh, It was co written by myself and my co conspirator, Kyle Decker, who is our, our executive producer for Hot Chocolate Media. (laughs) <laughs> 've we've, we've worked together on dozens of projects in the, the past five or six years it's been a uh, good good stuff whenever i get to work with Kyle and ben
0: sure and you both write and contribute to your channels as far as your videos and things like that go yes
1: absolutely uh, in fact Kyle's got a blog up right now for most of fringe festival that he's seen okay so if you're interested in you know what's what's good out there what's geeky we've got that on our site
0: yeah if people don't know and i hope they do uh if you're film fans or, or theater fans um, we got a pretty pretty big, uh, pretty significant fringe festival in the Twin Cities, um, and that's comparable probably to uh, Edinburgh or some of the other fringes that you've heard of. And every year, what is it, like 10, 10 days or so, two weeks? Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, um, uh, lots of uh, local theater companies put on uh, great work, and you can get like a little button or pass that sort of gets you in there, and you can check out different things. And what I like about the fringe is that it's not your tip. The investment is usually low. Because usually the prices are low. The shows are often, you know, they're not like three hours long or something like that. And so if you're not somebody who's into um, Cymbeline or something like that and you want to check out Waiting for Gygax, there's a lot of different uh, nerd-themed kind of shows a lot of times. Yeah. And that sort of thing. I remember, um, this is way in the way back, but um, I went to a show called Kung Fu Hamlet uh, a long (laughs) time ago at Minnesota French, which, again, it tells you, it's right in the title. It's on the tin. Uh, It was sort of a... um, Kung Fu chop version of Hamlet, where all the actors spoke, but it was subtitled, you know, like a bad uh, Jackie Chan <laughs> film uh, from back in the day. So that was fun. Uh, yeah, where can people find out more about Waiting for Gagax?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have all of our content available on our website. It's hotchocolatemedia.net.
0: Okay. People can check that out. Uh, let's get started on what this is. The name of the show is, of course, Craft of Services. What exactly are we about? I'll tell you. Um, the original pitch for this show, it's a spin-off from a segment that we do on the Just Enough Trope podcast called Craft to Services. And the idea is that everybody has a movie that they love that other people look at them like, really? Is that... Are we talking about the same one? Uh, a movie that... Probably got dumped on by critics, probably isn't well-rated um, highly on any site or from any critic, but sticks with you for some reason. And there are certain films that stick with a lot of people. There are a lot of films that you would look at, I think, and I don't have the numbers up right now, but Teen Wolf is below 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, I can see it. It's not a great film, but it's one of those films that everybody remembers. Everybody goes, oh yeah, Teen Wolf, they're, they're sk- on the van, they're urban yeah, surfing Yeah, got the and nostalgia goggles on. Exactly, Yeah that is a big element of this and so that's what we want to explore uh, on this uh, show films that people remember films that are beloved uh, either by you or by the public at large but yet for some reason critics just said that's not going to work no go the big rule for the show is uh, with the films we pick that all of them um, with maybe very few exceptions have to be rated 49 percent or below on Rotten Tomatoes or on Metacritic, and the other flip—the flip side of that—is they got to be films that, like I said, they're remembered fondly, or at least you or somebody you know would die defending them. Now, before we continue, I got to state for the record: we are not in the pocket of Big Tomato. You know, we don't make any—we <laughs> don't make any money off of this. We're not endorsed by Rotten Tomatoes. We're not connected to them. It's simply a metric that we're trying to use. Uh, like I said, we're using Metacritic as well. And in fact, this show may end up being a fairly solid repudiation of Rotten Tomatoes. And aggregating reviews as a practice, what do you think of sites like Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic? Sure, you know
1: they get really sort of. You kind of have these tilted reviews where they almost get. Even if most of the reviews are good, if there's enough bad ones, it just kind of pushes the rest down. Yeah. It seems like they're weighted more towards the bad side. Uh-huh. Um, and like you know, one one positive review you know, is only gonna be a third of a, a negative review in a lot of cases. Yeah. It seems like they they
0: waited kind of strangely. There's um, a magic or alchemy that they use to decide whether this review that has positive and negative points right. is a good or bad review. Yeah. My my roommate
1: and my friend of a very long time, uh Dan Kluver, is a computer science PhD student. He's okay. almost done with his, his PhD and he studies um, recommender systems. Oh, so, oh okay. <laughs> like when on Netflix, when it says, you know, oh yes, you you liked this movie, so you'll probably like this movie. Right. Or when you buy something on Amazon, it says here's some other things you might like. Right. That's kind of the stuff that he does, and he understands those algorithms in a way that a lot of other people do not. <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure he could mine their site for all kinds of data
0: and come back with some really interesting results. Yeah, and Amazon or not Amazon, uh, Netflix has recently um, sort of killed their. Um, staggered reviews like yeah star it's, just reviews. it's just thumbs up thumbs down. down right yeah and they but they still do the recommendations so when i watch a movie which i know is you know got to be careful when you're digging in the trash pile right. suddenly it gives me a bunch of recommendations and there's no sort of arbitrary yardstick as to whether this is a good film it just goes hey check this out 65 uh like your uh your, your preferences and I can't look and see, like, I like when I'm looking at Amazon Prime movies, at least they've got the IMDb number, which we're not even going into IMDb numbers because that, that number is worthless generally. But you can tell, like, Agreed. oh, this is, <laughs> this is a trashy, you know, direct-to-video film. Like, you get no background at all, and you're just kind of taking your, your chances. And for that reason, I hope it doesn't count the first five or ten minutes you spend watching a movie, because I've clicked through at a lot of Netflix movies, got five minutes in and been like, oh, no, this isn't anything that I'm going right. to Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, let's see. Uh, critics were less than kind with the film that we're going to talk about today, which is, of course, Punisher Warzone, from 2008, directed by Lexi Alexander, starring Ray Stevenson as Frank Castle. Do you have um, a history where you a Punisher fan in the comic books?
1: Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely liked Punisher for a long time. I think he's kind of a good contrast to some of the more bubbly characters in yeah. the Marvel Universe. Um, You know, growing up, my very first comics were were Batman and Spider-Man comics, and I read Spider-Man for a long time until uh, Doctor Strange appeared in one of the comics, and then I just kind of veered off into Doctor Strange for a very long time, but Punisher was also one of those characters who appeared in Spider-Man comics. Would this um, be uh, what,
0: what era was this when Doctor Strange appeared? Like, was this be um, like mid '90s? Okay, well, did he have so. the mask like the uh, when he did the Marvel Knights thing? And no, then, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: no, we gotta reinvent the, uh...
0: Doctor Strange, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. No, in the the 90s, Doctor Strange just had kind of like a like deep open Hawaiian shirts or like (laughs) he was kind of like the cool uncle, like who, you know, like he had a chain or like a beer or something. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. It was a little bit, um, you know, (laughs) they didn't really know what to do with with him in the hyper masculine, you know, giant buff dudes 90s in the comics. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um but no. this is a feat guy who likes books fit in with all these ponytails and pouches. Right. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: So but you know, it's yeah, the Punisher's always been, you know, somebody that I've had an interest in because because of that contrast, and that appeals to me in a lot of ways. And you see a lot of characters who have, you know, similar personalities, similar similar sort of moral codes, mm-hmm. similar ways they approach a situation. And Frank Castle is just so different from a lot of those Marvel characters. So when he does show up, I think it, it becomes something more more meaningful against those other characters. And in his own comics, they're more sort of introspective. They're more, yeah. you know, intense and you know drawn out in a, an interesting building way.
0: Yeah, I um, you know, I know that they've they're on like uh, every time Marvel reboots like a a series, they go back to number one, and then you have to kind of keep track of where they are with like the volume, and they're up to like I think. Is Becky Cloonan still doing the Punisher book? They're up to like volume twelve or something like that. Sure. And so I've like I was big into him um, in the eighties. Got did some of the Garth Ennis stuff in the nineties and stuff like that, and kind of dropped off. And they've tried to reboot him like several times, like he's fighting terrorists or he's fighting against superheroes sometimes, you know. And um, nobody's ever really caught what a lot of people think of as the real sweet spot of the Punisher days, which is that. Hyper violent sort of thing the the, the preacher at uh, preacherization of Punisher um the the weird comedic ele- right. uh, elements yeah. and the big tone swings and a lot of the films have tried to capture that we're not going to talk about the two thousand four Thomas Jane Punisher movie today but right. I think a lot of people thought that that film had problems in terms of the tone that it was trying to set um, maybe we will talk about tone problems in this <laughs> film today <laughs> sure. as well now that I think about it. Um, I've heard a lot of people call or compare the Punisher to like a Batman who does use guns and kill people. It'd be like if Batman broke both of his rules, um, he'd be the Punisher, more or less. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure, you know, we're not talking about the comics, we're talking about the film. I wonder where you can find a place to kind of root for a character like that um, if the movie sort of lets him off. Like superheroes, especially in movies, tend to have a code or something they stand for. And if his thing is just, I'm just going to be a bad guy, except I'm killing other bad guys, like, is there a point that we can latch in and go, yeah, all right, I'm fine with that. Um, What's the difference between a Punisher and, say, a a Matrix in Commando, where he's just dropping guys off cliffs and rocket-launching everybody? Like, sure, he's doing it to get his daughter back or whatever, but like, we, we can root for one, but the other one, we're supposed to look at it and go... Mm, these are moral quandaries are they like are they or can we sure. just out think, and out root yeah. for that
1: guy part of me feels like the character was born out of the the love for that 80s style you know over the top action movie but yeah and over, certainly the, the original the years, roots of
0: the character in like urban vigilantism you know like right kind of bernie getzi type thing which itself is you know morally troublesome sure but i think
1: over the years various different writers have tapped more into the kind of you know, haunted soldier type personality. Yeah. Which I think is really, really good. Um, The the idea that he has this, you know, like, the weight of the world, he's lost so much and he doesn't know, like, but he's a soldier and he's been trained to, like, always continue soldiering on. He doesn't have this, like, clear purpose for what to do except march towards the enemy. Yeah. And in this case, that darkness, that place that he's gotten to has brought him to, okay, well... I'm I know what I'm doing isn't right. I know what I'm doing is is bad and is, you know, may send me to hell or whatever it is. <laughs> right. But I know that I can make somebody's somebody else's life a little bit better by right. getting rid of these terrible people. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, mindset, that mentality is very interesting to me.
0: And he's picked and, a war that he can't really ever win, right. which yeah, is yeah. just a war against Crime or just the dark side of human nature, specifically against organized crime. I would say, but the the thing about that is that once you kill enough bosses or people with money, organized crime, you'll be able to take a break for a while, right? While they just tear each other apart until they a a new boss arises. It's always been the sort of the dark side of the Batman question in my mind, which is, and they never really, if Batman ever did get everybody in Arkham, uh, get everybody uh, rehabilitated that needed to be, everybody's in prison that should be. He could just hang up his tights, right? But we don't really want that because we want to see Batman be Batman forever. And it's the same thing with Frank. Like, you think at some point in the film, he goes into the the Punisher task force and it's this huge room with all these boxes. And he's like, Well, let me see the files. He's like, Look around you. These are all people that the Punisher has killed. Right. How are there any criminals left, (laughs) you know, in the tri state area? Um, But yeah, I mean, that's not, we can suspend our disbelief because we want to watch him kill some people. Sure. And Kill People, he does. This is a weird film, at least in relation to um, the environment, the uh, movies at the time. People laugh at DC for being unable to get their superhero movies off the ground, so to speak. And all the while, DC is crying all the way to the bank because they're making billions. Sure. Um, Marvel tried for decades, people forget, to get their movies up and running. And they lost millions in the attempt. And this is still, if I'm not mistaken, the lowest grossing Marvel movie to date.
1: That sounds right. I think, this, it made... I think this was under the Marvel Knights license rather yeah. than
0: the MCU. Which didn't go very far. Sure. This and, and uh, Ghost Rider 2, that was pretty much it. Yep. Um, and it's it made about $10 million off a $35 million budget. And it came out seven months after Iron Man, mm-hmm. which unarguably Marvel got right. But And we'll talk later in the show about some of the uh, critics' reactions to it. But it's funny that I think that people at this time still thought of comic book movies and you can't blame them after some of the comic book movies like Fantastic Four and 2004. Daredevil. Yeah, I think that there are certain uh, movies that come down the pike where critics are like, boy, I've had to write a lot of puff pieces about these uh, Soderbergh films. I can't wait to just tee off on this movie. Right. Comic book movies were still sort of that thing, I think, for critics. Yeah. So let's talk about the film. Uh, Directed by Lexi Alexander, Uh, we can talk about her experiences and a lot of the problems that she had making this film. But how would you characterize this film's visual style? Because sure. when, you, when you're a comic book, m- well, you're a movie, uh, when you're a comic book director and you approach a comic book movie, comics and movies are so similar in a lot of ways, but I don't think directors necessarily understand that. Uh, Ang Lee famously totally misunderstood that when he made his Hulk film and had the frame cut up into like comic panels and it just really took you out of the cinematic side of the film. What do you right. think about this film? Sure. Yeah. I think this film particularly has a very strong attention to color, Mm
1: -hmm. um, which I'm really, really attached to. And I actually have um, kind of a a theory that I'll get into as we get towards the end of the show. Sure. (laughs) uh, For just kind of like a wild fan idea. Um, But the the way that they kind of balance, you know, like no more than a handful of colors on screen at any given time feels very authentic to the the comics of the time mm-hmm. when i first saw punisher war zone i happened to be reading um the secret invasion or no not secret invasion uh the dark rain punisher arc okay um at the time and that was there's a sequence at the beginning where he tries to assassinate um norman osborne from several miles away with this like <laughs> this like cree rifle or some some magic okay, you know sure, yeah. freaking you know sniper <laughs> rifle and um and then the sentry shows up and it's the next like 20 pages are him trying to like escape sentry okay <laughs> which is really really interesting but that like style of like the the grit and the color and these kind of you know flat wash panes over these you yeah. know, detailed environments really reminded me of that comic.
0: If this were made just a few years later, everything would be desaturated. It would be, or, or sepia, it would to be totally one color, the whole thing.
1: Right. Um, but I think, you know, and they, they don't shy away from using those bright colors. You have these great bright reds and yellows mm. and blues and greens throughout the whole piece. Yeah,
0: especially the opening credits is just almost all green yeah. as these this is the, they get the whole panel thing out in the beginning just mm-hmm. in the credits it's a nice little opener and then you get the whole um news flash type thing you know setting us up about you know what's going on in the film there was right. one funny thing like near the end of the credits where they're talking about um what is it the the prosecutor or whoever's trying the case of this guy Cesare uh he's killed and then his mother is like saying like oh he was my boy and he's dead and they pull back and she's on a stoop and the reporters like right in front of her and he's like a mother crying for her son. <laughs> yeah. And this is John for the news or whatever. It's like, just going to shoot her crying. And then, no, this is good. We'll do the setup right here. It just yeah. Seems a little strange. A little bit of compressed storytelling. Yeah. So they, they cut out of that right away. Uh, one thing that I really like about the film is that th- there's no origin story. Or at least we don't really commit any screen time to the origin story. Yeah, You get it he is a maniac. He kills bad guys. Uh, you, you find out through little flashes and then the one scene in the graveyard. Okay. We get it. Like his family yeah. died later on. Soap, I think is explaining to buddy Anski, you know, Oh well, yeah. He's worked for the Marines or whatever. And his family died. And now he does this thing. We don't have to go through like step by step the plot, but how do you think that this film sort of measures up as a punisher story? It's not really sure. pulled from any specific comic. Um, in fact, we should talk about the script. Um, the script is um by um Nick Santorum who's a TV producer and writer and then also um two guys uh named Art Markham and Matt Holloway who worked on the original Iron Man although i think the scuttlebutt is that like basically the script for Iron Man is was all improvised that's what the like, right. says um and then that's pretty much it and then you know 9 years later they wrote Transformers the Last Knight and they're working on the Bumblebee movie so Perhaps future entrants for Craft to Services. Uh, we'll see if people end up liking them or not. Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And originally, when this film... This film was greenlit like a month before the first Punisher came out, when Tom Jane was still on board, and hmm. Kurt Sutter, had been uh, the Sons of Anarchy guy, had been called on to write a more realistic, sort of darker script, which they used for a lot of the pre-production until eventually all the major players that we know now came on. And it kind of got jettisoned because there were arguments about the tone. So we don't know how much of his script is in this. This did definitely land on being darker. Um, but he did eventually ask to have his name take, uh, taken off because he felt like it was too much of a departure. So, like I said, nothing nothing in this movie is really a specific Punisher story. But do you feel like it captures the Punisher well?
1: I think it does, honestly. I think the, the portrayal of a... Punisher story as it appears in the comics is most authentic from the versions of the Punisher that we've seen. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that it's you know necessarily the best. I mean, a lot of people really love John Bernthal's performance in the, the Daredevil mm-hmm. shows. And I, I agree. I yeah. think his, his performance is very good. I think Ray Stevenson's performance and the, the look of it is closer to the comics than what the Daredevil version of Punisher is. Mm. In a lot of ways, um, yeah. John Berthold's not... good.
0: He's not a he's not a real big guy, sure. But you know, big deal. Guys yeah, got a gun. No, yeah, a <laughs> big deal to be. Yeah,
1: I, I like. I said, I love his performance. It's great, very enjoyable to watch. Yeah, um, but I, I do think that this is is closer to the way it looks in the comics. A sure. More. <laughs> yeah, more to that style. Um, I think they they were willing to make it not only both like very bloody, like we get some detailed scenes of gore. Yes. in this movie. Yes. Um, but they are also willing to make it a little bit campy. You know, there's stuff around the edges that, you know, yes, this character probably wouldn't say this thing in real life, but <laughs> it's, it's okay because it's a little bit campy around the edges. We have, like, yeah. you know, little, little moments of character things, like, that remind you, yes, this is based on a comic, and yes, we can have a little more fun with this. Right. Because it's, you know, enhanced reality. It's not just, you know, a, a gritty, you know, vigilante film it's it's also a comic book movie
0: (laughs) yeah so that really really uh, works for me
1: in a lot of ways
0: i think that yeah and i think that that really put a lot of people off if you go through the critics reviews the word disgusting probably would come up they'd be the biggest in the word cloud uh bloody and all that sort of thing and also just the weird sort of comedic moments like the existence of dominic west (laughs) as jigsaw in this film although you know if you just want to if we just want to go through the cast, if I were to put jigsaw to, to film, which I guess they're going probably going to do in the new season of the Netflix show, what do you do? He's a crime boss, his face is fucked up, and so, like that's it. He just wants to kill Castle. like you need to do something. yeah. they did something. yeah, They really did something. <laughs> what do you think that they what do you think he was drawing on uh, to play jigsaw in this movie, Dominic West? I mean.
1: That's that's a really good question. Um, and, and one that I'm finding myself struggling to have an answer to, but the I love how just like utterly concerned he is with his appearance. Right, yeah. And Which is an addition. That's not yeah. really
0: in the comic book.
1: Right. And they, you know, they establish that very early. The one of the first lines in the movie is him berating the girl for getting in the way of the mirror right <laughs> It's like okay i know who this guy is right yeah, away. yeah first 5
0: seconds he chokes yeah. a woman so it's like oh bad guy we got yep. it yeah right yeah
1: so but his uh you know he's kind of cocky and he's kind of you know pushy and <laughs> right. he has to get his way but like um he doesn't like push it way 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 over the line it's just like just enough campiness to be like right right in the sweet spot for me.
0: yeah there's a lot of uh Nicholson's Joker I think in it sure um, I think a lot of this sort of maps onto Burton's Batman um, even down to him going out at the end of the movie and just, like we're trying to recruit like the general rank mm-hmm. and file just right um, it, the the whole thing with the American flag clearly and Lexi uh, Alexander says this or has said this in interviews that she based the recruiting scene on you know, what she saw of recruiters in Fahrenheit 9-11, just the ridiculous things that they would go to, lengths they'd go to to get people on. But it reminds me of the hubba 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 money 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 scene in Batman when he's out on the parade floats and stuff like that. Um, And so I I think that it would be hard to really find a character through line for him. Um, If the Punisher tries to kill you by crushing you in a glass thing, that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Want to kill him, <laughs> but yeah, but instead they doubled down on the oh no, that he's uh the uh Jimmy the Butte or whatever, yeah, Billy, so now the you've... Billy the Butte, yeah. yeah, so they've, they've taken that away from him. And then even the scene where he's getting his face put back together doesn't spend eight weeks in like intensive care the mm-hmm. next night or the next day, um, right. The whole uh, let's take the bandages off, you know, it's a lot like the um, the Nicholson uh thing in Batman as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's got to kill the doctor, yeah, nobody's ever like. Well, Doc, you tried your best. Um, I'm probably going to go get a second opinion. Right. But <laughs> no, it's just dead. Um, the way that he um, names himself, uh, I don't know if that really worked for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, he puts his, they put his face back together with Horsehide or whatever. Like, Jigsaw, we got it. Yeah. But at least they sort of tie it back into this. I don't know. Like We can talk about things that we like and don't. It doesn't have to be a segment necessarily. But I'm going to say right now, I don't know about the political sort of commentary in the film we talked about the Fahrenheit Nine Eleven 9-11 thing he um sees this video when he's looking out the window of like an american flag and uh it's like a video package and like all these little jigsaw puzzles you know just like a video toaster effect they're all kind of going together and so i guess he calls himself jigsaw it's good sure. he didn't see like a mesothelioma commercial or something like that at that point <laughs> <laughs> um but and it's very the video seems very jingoistic of course this is you know 4 or 5 years after 911 in new york so i guess you have to keep that in mind right but that does not age well in my opinion
1: yeah what what you're describing i would agree is is not the strongest part of the movie yeah i think the the performances and the um attention to the style are really what sell this movie there's places yeah. where the dialogue or you know, the, the editing or, you know, specific moments in story just kind of falter a little bit. Yeah. But I think the, the characters are, are all, all the actors are giving 100% to those characters. Oh, more. yeah. Um, and the, the way that they've paid attention to the detail of the comics, I think, is, is really what sells it.
0: Yeah, and anything that doesn't work, that's, that's a great thing about this movie is it just keeps moving. You know, it's right. It's 109 minutes or whatever. So the thing that I mentioned is gone before you know it. Mm-hmm. Or one thing that I, and we can talk about this too, that I didn't really like was, I was not a big fan of Doug Hutchinson as Lenny Ben Jim for the most part. But anything that he does that you don't like, we just keep moving on. Right. And then make it to a part that he, you do like. He's got a lot of facts about kidneys. Guy knows a lot about kidneys. And he'll just tell yeah. you about it like while he's trying to tear yeah. your face off.
1: Which I thought the, was really interesting. Yeah. The one line that just hurts me to my core every time is the, the line right after he gets freed from his bonds. I'm going to get my applesauce back. <laughs> yeah, right, <I> know. <laughs> yummy, yummy, yummy. It's like, okay, come on. You're taking it too far here. Right. Um, I, I wish it had been like one one shade lower on the crazy scale, and yeah. I think it would have been perfect.
0: And for a character like that, which was invented for the film, right. um, I don't know by which one of these writers, uh, doesn't exist in the comics, you go, all right, so he's a guy who's in him, he's the crazy guy. Yeah. You've already got Dominic West going to 11 maybe what does he do maybe he's the hannibal lecter maybe he's the quiet guy who does something horrible when you're not looking mm. the fava beans or whatever um not in this film <laughs> no maybe. right no uh subtlety was not invited yeah. to this party for any part oh,
1: eleven's is- not enough we're, yeah, yeah we're gonna add 12 to the
0: dial 12 or 13 yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a movie where a man just punches a man through his face and kills him right so, yeah so you understand like why i did like the um the scene where he breaks all the mirrors, like I thought that was... Yeah, that you know, was cute. That was a chance to let that character take it for a walk a little bit. Right. And they keep it going because it's really subtle, but later on after they get captured uh, by the cops and they're in the interrogation room, nobody really mentions anything. But the two-way mirror is broken. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. of course it is. Uh, he right. broke that apparently when they came in. And then nobody says anything, but it's just, okay, you've committed to this bit. We're going to keep this going for a while. Um, I wanted to mention really fast um, the characters of Pitsy and Ink. Uh, who are actual characters from the comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was a great idea. They could have been, you know, faceless goons or whatever, but they gave them sure. a personality. Um, I think they die way too fast because <laughs> they get taken out, you know, about halfway through. Yeah. And then we've got to go through the rest of the movie without our Rosencrantz and Gilberstern kind of comic relief. Sure. Uh, but, they, but they have two of the coolest or, like, most outrageous deaths in the... In the oh, film. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the aforementioned guy getting punched in the face... And then also, whenever people talk about this movie, they talk about the scene where uh, Punisher blows uh, Pitsy's head off. <laughs> right it's that thing where uh, at this point, um, Colin Salmon's character uh, Buddy Anski, seems like he's okay. He's at least he's going to work with Frank. Uh, we're going to do this the right way. I've got him handcuffed, and then Punisher just blows his head off. Right. Like, God damn it! Castle! Yeah. Let, let's. I want to talk about that character because he ought to be. If there's any room in this film for heroes outside of Frank Castle, he ought to be the guy that we look at as the foil, really. Oh, totally. Because Frank is a guy who's fallen from grace. Um, is a guy who fell already and has come back. Um, he's connected to uh, the guy, the undercover agent that Frank kills uh, at the beginning accidentally and sort of starts the whole thing off. And so he comes back for you know, revenge or at least to bust the Punisher. And so he's got this moral code. And I feel like and I feel like I'm talking about only bad stuff, but there's never a point where we see a turn with him where he goes, all right, maybe Frank's on to something here. Or maybe we can work outside of the law as long as we can do it on my terms. And we we, we totally get to that. Like we have he goes out and he goes to the the father of the mob uh, guy that gets um, um, that Jigsaw sells out to the FBI. Yeah. And without saying, hey, you know, go start a fight or whatever, he goes, you know, I could tell you where these guys are if you you want to do something about it. He kind of does it in his own way. But except for that scene in the church, which is a church from Blade Runner or something, because there's like neon crosses and things like that. Or Romeo plus Juliet. There you go. Yeah, Baz Luhrmann's uh, (laughs) first church of the Redeemer. Yeah. Right. Uh, I I wanted a little more of his sort of storyline. But again, this is a pretty lean movie. Like, we don't have time for that. We gotta keep moving, right? If you're not blowing people's heads off or uh, exploding, uh, parkour guys in midair—oh, uh, so satisfying! <laughs> yeah, I know. Just like the, because the
1: whole trope there is like, oh, now we're gonna get this extended scene of these guys fucking around, parkour, just like, God damn it, and like, <laughs> and then the rocket comes and blows up, and they just stop, and you're like,
0: that's not what this oh, is. Oh, so satisfying! <laughs> yeah, I
1: know. Like, of course it's dumb, but like, it's totally something that would happen in the comics, and like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. it sells.
0: And there's a lot of things that they don't worry about. Like, uh, he, we get up, that scene is punctuated by soap and, Bedansky like arriving and McGinty just falls onto the spikes and dies. Yep. And then Punisher apparently jumps off a three story building because <laughs> we just see him appear and he yeah. steps on the guy's head and then lands on the ground. And it's like, that's eh, a comic book. It's fine. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that you could just go, that's eh, a comic book. It's fine. Uh, You've heard about some, um, you're not supposed to send people to other podcasts, uh, if you're doing your podcast, but there was a great uh, interview or sort of talk with Lexi Alexander on the podcast, How Does This Get Made, about this film. Yeah. Usually they just cut movies apart in that podcast, but they brought her on and let her kind of tell the story. And I, after hearing that interview, really sympathize with some of the pressure that she was under. Sure. She's an up-and-coming director. She had an um, Oscar-nominated short uh, starring Dash Mihawk, uh, who's in this film. And, you know, was just looking for a job, basically, and kind of got roped into doing this. Didn't want to do it. Talked herself into doing it. And then the day before she was going to meet with the people at Lionsgate, the Virginia Tech shooting happened. And she's like, I don't want to do a movie about a guy that shoots people after that. Then kind of got talked back, back into it. Sure. um, And after having read the comics and talking to some people and then set out to do this film thinking, here's what I'll do. I'll make it so ridiculous that there's no way you could connect this to any real thing. Uh, and then it's just a story of her having to fight with both Marvel and Lionsgate on stuff and them moving the movie from a, like a more fitting summer slot to like December when nobody's really looking for it. And I don't know. It just seems like she really got screwed on the deal.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I've She hasn't done all that much stuff and I feel like part of it is that she's been kind of Maligned a little bit due to the this this film not being well liked yeah um and um maybe maybe it's time for me to get into my my theory here oh p- bring it on so uh this is this is all one hundred percent speculation, so th- i'm I'm throwing my my caution hat to the wind, as it were, <laughs> okay. so what were what I think happened um 'Cause I've seen interviews with Julie Benz, who's been in a million oh, different yeah. like genre pieces yeah. and loves loves, you know, science fiction, comic book, whatever it is. That's that's her bread and butter. Yeah. Um I've seen interviews with her where she talks about how much she liked working with Lexi Alexander and would like to see her to work with her again or do more work with her. Mm-hmm. Um just a year or so after this movie comes out, she gets hired as one of the, the leads for a show called um No Ordinary Family. Right. And on that show, she works with a producer named Mark Guggenheim, who produces a bunch of different things, uh, and uh, after No Ordinary Family, almost exclusively superhero things.
0: A lot of the DC shows. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Just a few years after that, Mark Guggenheim is hired as executive producer for a show called Arrow. Uh Uh-huh. And I believe that Mark Guggenheim chatted with Julie Benz and chatted with Lexi Alexander and said... I love what you did with Punisher Warzone. I'm going to teenify that, and I'm going to make this <laughs> sure. show called Arrow. Okay, all right. Because the look and the style and the way that they approach the character in terms of, like, grittiness with little tiny elements of humor thrown in, right? it's the same thing in a lot of ways. Sure, okay. Um, so I believe there's a couple degrees of separation there, and I think that the the verse as a whole would probably not exist without
0: something like Punisher Warzone coming first. I could see that. And it's coming full circle because I know that Lexi Like Lexi Alexander, got hired, yep. Yeah, has <laughs> we directed. the rotating
1: directors right. now. Yeah. So...
0: I think that she's a pretty f- capable director. Like you said, you know, it, I mean, just inexperienced um, from a sort of general sort of viewpoint. It's not like she's done a million films. But I think that she handles this competently. And her, her episodes of Arrow and Supergirl are
1: some of the best of the seasons... Well, there you go. ...that they're in. So. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the the way that she approaches a show that involves action on this level or stylized
0: elements on this level, I think, is is really, really good. Yeah. And and her action scenes in Punisher are great, too. I mean, the um, (laughs) the Frank killing everybody in the building at the end uh, is one of the best uh, Marvel like shooty action sequences I can (laughs) think of. Uh, at least in terms of something gritty like this, she reportedly also contributed to the script and came up with the whole um, sort of Mexican standoff thing at the end. The whole choice mm-hmm. between shooting micro, you know, or the girl was her idea. Uh, <laughs> and um, having that thing where, you know, it's it's an old trope of the hero advancing you know up levels of a building or something like that sure people as they go of course they um skip the first half of that by just having the old russian guys come in and kill like, for sure the first layer of guys and then frank just bashes through a window and then here he is and then he does fun things like the grenade in the paint can which is, of course is one of the highlights of the film <laughs> sure it's one yeah. of those moments where you could just brutally assault people with action the whole time but you need these little little pauses yeah. of, of fun stuff and um she actually mentions this in an interview like she goes through as as a lot of directors do and finds okay how long has it been since we've had an action or like during this action scene are we having pauses are we having breaks are we having comedy and she puts those in there and and they're great i just love the guy who gets the paint can grenade yeah (laughs) it's just like this is not a great day (laughs) yeah Uh, well that was fun (laughs) i'm done yeah any other highlights for you uh, in the film? Sure, just to touch on that that combat
1: aspect, I think it's it's very entertaining in a way that uh, not all action films are. I feel like the action is is creative and the the interactions are tactical rather than sort of just like you know wave
0: after wave of bullets. Yeah, so that's, it's selective that's... too because right. there could be there are other gun movies with way more gunplay. Like the Matrix has probably sure. more gunplay than this does, but it's you know it's i think that the points are chosen where it's the right. best and we're not going yep. to tire you out with gunplay
1: right and the the behind the scenes material i've seen with um there there's like a training thing on the blu-ray where oh, cool. um that. you get to see you get to see ray stevenson training with uh, the us marine corps okay cool shout out to Kyle Decker um uh, <laughs> yeah. my my favorite former marine um but the uh yeah, no, the, the training that they're going through. And Lexi's there, too. She's got the same, like, you know, gear yeah, she's on tough. and everything. Yeah, <laughs> and she's just having a blast. But, yeah, they're, you know, training for, like, tactical entry. And, like, you know, this this weapon, you know, is when you clear the door with this weapon, it has to be this one. Right. It has to be at this angle or else you'll you'll be at risk of getting hit. And Right. Okay, well, how are you going to identify this target? Move from cover to cover. Okay, you have to switch weapons over here. What are you going to do? And, <laughs> right. Yeah, and they basically just, like, make him, you know, force force Ray to improv these, you know, fight scenes sure. <laughs> with various different weapons. Uh, what? So, what if but, I... yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> like, I, I wish that more, more action movies had that attention to detail in training. Yeah. And that really works as the, you know... To see that tactical application of violence in the
0: film. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's say that I came to a room and there's a bunch of guys in it. Could I ram my grenade launcher through the door and then (laughs) shoot it? Yes. Uh, We can only hope. (laughs) There's uh, maybe my uh, crazy theory is that there's one part where so you can't hear anything during a gunfight like that. He wastes a bunch of guys. He's sliding around, shooting people, and then he kind of stops and he reloads. And there's this another one of those quiet moments where he's kind of looking down the hall and listening. And he like opens his mouth. And I don't know if this is like an official thing that you're supposed to do, but I know that like when I'm listening closely, you open your mouth, it sort of opens your eustachian tubes or whatever because they're connected <laughs> to your ear. Yeah. You can kind of hear better. I don't know if that's what he's doing, but he does. Like he sits there and he kind of concentrates, and then of course he yeah. hears those guys in the room. Right. Who I guess their plan was. We're going to wait here. He's going to kill everybody. Walk by, then we're going to jump out. I'm not sure what their plan was, but they all died right there.
1: Probably assuming he would open the door and then they would all fire Just on him. Just
0: blast him then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those guys, I don't know what Jigsaw promised them other than patriotism and also maybe money. But Yeah, <laughs> a
1: lot of well, them. he had like, millions and millions of dollars after screwing the, right. the Russian guy.
0: Yeah, but like, how far is $12 million going to go amongst uh, the Latin kings, uh, the Crips, uh, sure. whoever else is there? what else was a high point for you? Like if you were going to sell somebody on seeing this movie, what would you tell them?
1: I would basically just tell them what, you know, what I've told you so far in the sense of, I feel like this is a pretty authentic view of Punisher comics. It's campy around the edges, but the action is, is great. It gets bloody. The, the portrayal of, of the Punisher by Ray Stevenson is very compelling. You know, he shows a human side underneath you know this this rage, yeah. And you really get a sense that he's he's not an awful guy. He's just trying to find some way to you know pay back for the pain that he feels.
0: Yeah, and I can't so I can't tell if it. There's a lot of things in the script that um, I'm not sure if we if we like we said there's a frenetic pace. If we spent more time, maybe it wouldn't like play necessarily. Like they set up the parallel with. Um, well first of all he kills an FBI agent at yeah. the beginning of the film and he's still the hero I know right. that he's um, but he like stops like he doesn't flee the crime scene yeah, immediately and, he to, and he's like yeah.
1: oh shit I killed this and guy and he goes back and he wants and to then quit. He goes,
0: right. Yeah, and it takes Micro to kind of talk him back in which again that's a whole moral arc that I'm not really sure that I can sign on to but since it's a film it's fine cause I really like that honestly Wayne Knight is like yeah. you gotta keep killing <laughs> come on Frank <laughs> <laughs> sure we need ya uh, but they set the parallel up with the daughter of the FBI guy's wife, which I can't decide if they hit too hard or not hard enough because there are parts like she gets the snow globe and it's like, boy, that's really on the nose. But then, I don't know, the the child actress does a good job. Yeah, Um, Stevenson doesn't oversell it. Like you can see, okay, yeah, we see this softness in this monster (laughs) of a man. Um, One thing I think they really nail is that, and I've always said this about a Batman movie, but there's just too... There's too much racial memory of Adam West Batman. We'll never get this. But I always thought that you should make a Batman movie. You should film it like a monster movie because he is a monster, essentially. And they do this in Batman Begins and other scenes where we go to the criminal's perspective and his weapon is fear and terror. And so he should be the guy. You know, you open the fridge and the head and Jason's behind you like he's Jason. And you can really go all the way with that in this kind of film. And we get that because he seems unstoppable and he's tearing people's heads off, you know. (laughs) Right. And he's slashing uh, throats and he's he's killing everybody. Like you get that feeling of like, oh, this is he's a movie monster that we can root for, basically, because he is technically the good guy. I would do the same thing. I would just say everything we've already said. I, I think it's too bad that this film has... What I would, I would say is a bad reputation still. Sure, um, probably.
1: I'll, I'll be clear. I don't think this is like a masterpiece of oh, no, cinema or anything. We are not, yeah. But this, <laughs> but I, I certainly think it's a, a solid pulpy film that's that's yeah. true to the source material. Why do you think then that critics couldn't see that? I feel like because I still feel it's 2017, and I still feel like most movie critics, you know, are looking at a comic book movie as though it's supposed to be Spielberg. right and like the you know granted there's exceptions to that rule but like the way that they read is somebody who's just like i don't know how to process a genre it's just
0: gross oh look at right and at the
1: time superhero movies were still finding their feet um as you know a popular genre still you know they were more risky they were more divided than they are now yeah so i think that's That basically is it. I think they they went in looking for something that was was not ever intended to be there.
0: Yeah. I'd like to go back. I haven't. But I'd like to go back and look at some of the reviews for Iron Man, even the glowing ones, uh, and see if they're qualified. You know what I mean? Like, you know, for a four-color funny book, this is not bad. Because I think that people probably, it's hard to, so far back it's hard to remember 2008. I think people probably saw Iron Man as a blip. Or something sure. that was just riding on the charm of Rob Downey Jr. Or the success of the then pretty hot Jon Favreau. And the Iron Man-y aspects of it were just you know a second thought. Um, whereas they've just taken over <laughs> like the character up till now. He's got a million suits and that's kind of his whole thing. Um, I want to actually kind of look at uh, one or two of the reviews uh, that are on Rotten Tomatoes for the film. For sure. In a segment I like to call The Pick of the Patch. I don't know that might not stick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Roger Ebert had um, what I think of as probably one of the more even-handed uh, ratings of the film. And this is actually by him. He was Thanks, EB. You know, yeah, he was alive at the time. But one of his quotes from the film is that uh, he says, uh, you used to be able to depend on a bad film being poorly made. No longer, The Punisher Warzone is one of the best made bad movies I've ever seen. So he seems to be, for a guy who I think doesn't have a lot of nuance, he usually just kind of says whether he likes something or not. He's admitting that this maybe isn't for everybody, but it's pulpy. He doesn't use the word pulp, at least not in this quote. And the score's two out of four, and they, they say that's rotten. So right. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information. Um, there's another critic, um, Rafer Guzman from Newsday, who's rated as a top critic. And he says in his review, uh, Marvel's latest chunk of comic book pulp strikes the usual brooding poses, but the film's utterly ridiculous, make that bloody ridiculous, uh, that it's self-induced giggle fits become downright hilarious. He seems to get it right. Ratings 2.5 out of four rotten. Yeah. I don't know what to do with that. The show's over. (laughs) Turn the mics (laughs) off. It's like, that's, they're not even fighting fair. Right. Uh, Do you have a, do you have a critics that you look to that are your your go-to people? Not really.
1: If I'm honest, like I, I remember a few years ago and maybe this is another episode. Um, uh, I went I went to see Jupiter Ascending. Okay. And I had heard nothing but, like, miserable things about it. Everybody's just like,
0: yeah. this movie sucks
1: so bad. This movie's horrible. This movie's awful. Yeah. And i seen the same reviews. And, like, it was fine. Like, I don't think it was, like, a masterpiece. I don't think it was, you know, like, brilliant in any way. But it was really fun. I, I enjoyed the hell out of Jupiter Ascending.
0: Yeah. That's a movie that I literally, uh, I hate the term hate watch, but sure. I don't like it at all. But but I'll watch it because there are so many things in it that probably could have been good. Sure, the 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 of uh, uh, interstellar uh, rollerblading uh, elf uh, dog boy is ridiculous. Right. But I don't yeah. know. It, one of the things I really like about that film are the dragon bad guys, like the dragon. Yeah. Bad. they're awesome. Um, and yeah, <laughs> Eddie Redmayne is. <laughs> He's just—he's wild, just Yeah. like he wh- whispers, shouting. People he's to working, death. yeah. He's working something out on yeah. that film, <laughs> but you know, it's—I think it's still watchable. So uh, this is way better than that, though. Yeah, <laughs> this is maybe that's this film's really problem is that it is really a tweener. It's not stupid or bad enough to hate watch, and it's not quite good enough to really hold up against the Dark Knight, which, according to Alexander had a lot of influence on this cuz everybody yeah. wanted their dark knight after dark knight came out. Sure.
1: Maybe a conversation for another day, but I would <laughs> I will happily choose Warzone over Dark Knight.
0: Oh, okay. Boy, I mean th- I think we can kind of have it now a little bit if you want to.
1: <laughs> sure. Uh I think Batman Begins is the best of that trilogy. Okay. In my opinion. Sure. Um I think the I think The Dark Knight rides solely on uh, Heath Ledger's performance. And I don't think it's, it's a great performance. It's, uh, very compelling, but I don't see that as the Joker. I see that in the same way that a lot of people are now looking at the Jared Leto Joker. Okay. I see it as uh, a very, um, a, a gridified version of the Joker from the comics. Sure. Okay. Um that was, was taken to a level that doesn't really fit with the original source material. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the cinematography is very dark. Well, uh, yeah. The fight scenes are sloppy, kind of feels like Batman's suit was maybe a little too tight around the edges and he's kind of like yeah. awkward claymation man flopping yeah. around. That's always a problem. Which doesn't make any sense for a guy who's supposed to be super well trained. Yeah, and the pacing they kind li- of they is li- like yeah, this bouncing arc of like Joker heist nothing, Joker heist nothing, Joker <laughs> heist nothing. Right, Which but that's what happens ex- in yeah. in
0: Heat. In Heat, they just go and they talk in a diner for for ten minutes or whatever. Sure, so, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So that's that's not to say there's not great moments in The Dark Knight, but overall as a, a movie, it didn't speak to me
0: the way it speaks to a lot of people. Yeah, nobody can attack, especially I mean, with what unfortunately happened, like. Right. You know, Ledger's performance is canonized his now His performance forever. is great. I, you know,
1: I don't begrudge that in any way. But I remember writing... I just a, don't see it as the Joker.
0: Yeah. Well, I remember writing a review, like, the night uh, after I left the theater, um, saying that, you know, this is a great movie. People are going to remember it. And I think Ledger is good, but it's so... Maybe this is the only way he can get into it, but his performance is so ticky. And just as somebody who is a former performer myself, I would, or as a director, I would say pull it back you know right. people, you have an intensity that people are going to respond to and you don't need all the uh, all the kind of things right yeah yeah um, which I don't think drag it down too much but then you look at that's all Jared Leto is doing he is just a collection of ticks right. that create a character I guess in quotes in characters so, yeah. Well, I don't think anybody's going to hate you for not loving The Dark Knight uh, sure. unequivocally. Um, at least not on this show. You're safe here. You're safe. That's good. Uh, <laughs> anything else you can think of that you like about the film before we kind of wrap up here? I want to say really quick. I know I just asked you a question. I'll answer it myself. Uh, <laughs> there is uh, There are flashes of good dialogue in this film. There is a lot of sort of like... <laughs> usually you think uh, they avoid the tro- uh, trope of... Uh, Frank doing his internal monologue, you know, the, the Batman or the Frank Miller monologue, you know, it's like, I gotta watch the scum off the streets and that sort of thing. Yeah. He doesn't say a word until like a half an hour into the film, which I think is great. Yeah. Very good. But they give it to other people. Um, I like when they're in the church and, you know, but like, oh, they actually, they actually um, bring the thing in about him being, um, in the seminary about him actually wanting to be a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, which, but they don't beat the Roman Catholic thing to death like they would anywhere else. Like in Daredevil. <laughs> well, they've already. Yeah, that's yeah. too. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so you know, he's saying like if they're not the ten suggestions or whatever. What would God think? He's like, sometimes I like to get my hands on God. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, all right, that's pretty. That's that's a Garth Ennis stuff there. I like. Yeah, that. definitely. What do you think? Yeah, I think the the line
1: that always sticks with me is uh, when when he gives. The young girl, the snow globe that used to belong to his daughter. And sure. She's, she says, um, what is it? She says, oh, uh, do you, do, will your daughter mind if I play with this? And he he looks at her and, and, and he says, no. And it's just like this. Yeah, no. The expression mean. on his face just
0: says everything. Yeah. But you yet they those, don't. He doesn't turn around right. and there's another like close in. who's like single tear. It's just. Right. You yeah, see yeah. him in his own stunted way sort of kind of come into terms with it it's like
1: yeah yeah the, this movie does a very good job of using subtext with dialogue there's lots of lines where what the words that come out of their mouth are not what they're intending to say yeah and it still comes across very very well sure so i mean the the scene in front of the door where he's you know saying well i want to give you this money you know to take care of your family and protect you What he's saying is like, I feel really guilty and I'm in so much pain right now and I'm trying to make things right. But that's not the words that are coming out of his mouth. Right. But that sells really, really well.
0: And And, a lot of movies don't know how to do that. Yeah. And she points a gun at him and he doesn't say, do it, do it, motherfucker, do it. Like he's he's basically saying, if this is how you want to do it, I'll let you do it. Right. He's not even like the thing where it's like, I dare you to kill me. He's saying like now it's in your hands. You can kill me because I deserve it. It's up to you. And then it's a great put thing in the script because she rejects the money so he's not off the hook. Do you know right, what I mean? Right, right. If she had taken the money, he could have left town, no movie, but instead he has to like, he's indebted to them. He is already, but he understands that they're not safe and there's going to be a problem. Right. That is that is so subtle. In, this, in a movie where a, a parkour guy is blown up with a grenade launcher. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't look for that. Um, well, speaking of things that you don't really look for, the the, the treasure among the trash necessarily, um, what's your final recommendation for this? Um, I'm trying trying a few things out here, uh, like Flash or Flush, uh, Masterpiece or Disasterpiece. What do you think?
1: <laughs> sure, yeah. I think this is a great poppy action movie that's true to the Punisher comics uh, from the 80s to the 2000s. And if that sounds appealing to you, I would watch it it's it's campy and rough in places but like it doesn't bother me one bit i yeah. still find it very enjoyable
0: yeah yeah i agree i mean it's a movie that i don't they talk about turning your brain off i don't leave your brain on See what happens. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, you might, you know, there might be things that bother you about it. But ultimately, I think if you let it, it will just wrap you up in its bloody arms and just give you right, a big right. hug and probably throttle you to death. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's a double recommendation for us. The movie is available, you know, Blu-ray. Um, is it on any streaming services? I think that it, it might it is be not. on. Um, yeah like a premium one, like Showtime or something like that. I can't That's remember possible. where I watched it, but yeah, uh, like you said, if you get the Blu-ray, you have those um, special edition features yep. and director's commentary and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah it's, it's also fun because like a lot of good, quote unquote, disasters or misfires, there's a good story behind it. i yeah. mentioned the podcast, but also if you can read interviews or listen to the commentary by Alexei Alexander, it's tough. It's tough to do what directors do, and when you look at somebody like Zack Snyder, you go, how tough can it be? But it's really true. (laughs) Like She's a talented uh, young director who is just trying to deliver something, and all the things that you run into, and all the ways things can can go wrong, it's just a fascinating story to me. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, If you want to let us know how you felt about the movie, you can tell us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash craft... Remember, there are two S's in disservices. We're also on Twitter at, and catch this, at Craft Disservice. Yeah, we ran into a character limit on the username there on (laughs) Twitter. Uh, But we're there all the same. Uh, We're also on iTunes. Search for Craft Disservices there and subscribe, rate, and review us if you would. It helps us out a lot. And we're also on Google Play and Stitcher and all that other good stuff. Uh, Jacob, where can people find you online? Absolutely. You can
1: find us on Facebook, Hot Chocolate Media. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter. It's Hot Chalk. the first C-H-O-C media. Hot Chalk. Yeah. Uh, Hot Chalk Media. And then on, uh, you can find us on our website, hotchocolatemedia.net. .net.
0: Okay. And uh, people have until when still to catch a friend, Joe? Uh,
1: it closes this weekend, this okay. upcoming weekend, I believe. Uh, be the 12th and the
0: 13th. 12th and the 13th. Okay, Uh, this should be up for then. So if you're listening to this, stop listening to this (laughs) and get out and go see uh, Waiting for Gygax. And that's it. We're out. Uh, This is Aaron for Jacob saying keep it real.